Well, well, did you know today uh, the Southern Baptist Convention convenes in New Orleans? Anybody ever been there? Yeah, baby. I mean, not, not New Orleans, a convention. Not nearly as exciting when you say you've been to the convention. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was at the one back here in 1988, I think, uh, it was downtown, and I remember uh, powerful preaching. It's, the denomination was really uh, having some troubles in, and guess what? We're still having, we are people, and, and, and you know, there's a Lance Armstrong quote that he says, if the fur ain't flying, you must be a dying. And I, we always, as Baptists, we're always going to have some conflict because I think this side of glory, uh, we're never going to always see eye to eye. And uh, I'll give you my one Baptist thought. Growing up Baptist, that was the one thing I could always take confidence in, that we could be, I mean, seriously, we could be different and still get along. And uh, anyway, I'll stop right there. But some of the things you'll hear this week at that convention, they'll give all kinds of reports about what goes on and uh, home missions, you know, the North American Mission Board, about the International Mission Board. Uh, obviously, they'll vote for a new president. But some of the, the reports that people skip out on, as, as most people do, you know, they, when you go to college, you go for the good class. You skip out on the, the other classes, perhaps. But uh, not that, Austin, you will never do that. As an engineering major, you won't skip out on anything. But... Um, one of the things they'll probably present is about the six Southern Baptist seminaries. And I think in our congregation, we have at least alumni of three different seminaries of those six. Mark, Southeastern? Yeah. Dan and Cynthia, the Southern Baptist Seminary. I know, that's in Louisville. His is in uh, North Carolina. Is it Wake Forest? Where is it? Is it Wake Forest? Yeah. Uh, and then Jim and I, anybody, and if Ari was here, Ari uh, uh, Juarez is actually off doing Navy officer training, or at least coming up uh, uh, today or tomorrow. She's starting that to be a Navy chaplain. But she, Jim and I, and maybe somebody else, I don't know, that are Southwestern graduates. They're in the big city of Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah. So, I, so just g giving a little credo to my, to my um, or, you know, nod to my seminary, here's a great picture if it made it, the B.H. Carroll building. And when I was there, in fact, you got to pause for a second. Jim probably knows this, and Ari would have, I'm sure. In that rotunda, in that circular part, are the different portraits of the presidents of Southwestern Seminary. Yeah, wow. B.H. Carroll, first president. And if you can see his left hand, the fingers are painted out because he's holding a cigar. <laughs> and later on in our Baptist life, somebody said, there's no way the president of that seminary could have ever smoked a cigar, so we just painted out of existence. Yeah. Man. So if you get inside of that building, and now there's a newer one even than this, but go to the next slide, you will see the George Truett auditorium, where daily when Cliff was in seminary, there was a chapel service. And daily, Cliff went to chapel until he found out the fugitive episodes, reruns, were being played at the same time on channel whatever, and I might have had a donut and a cup of coffee and watched some TV instead of going, and unless it was a phenomenal preacher that day, so yeah. Uh, the last time I went, Jim, I don't know if, surely there's, I know there's time between you and I going. The last time I went there for a conference, 
there was actually a scanner that you had to scan to go in and prove that you'd been to chapel. Well, my thinking was, if you've got to scan them and you can't trust them to go to chapel, you may not trust them once they graduate, you know. They didn't tell, it was not mandatory, so let me just tell you that. When I went, it was not mandatory. But that guy in the corner is George Truett. Uh, George Truett would pastor First Baptist of Dallas from 1897 to 1944. Yeah. And W.A. Criswell, many people know Criswell. Criswell will replace him. But the story of Truett that I did not know actually until about two weeks ago, thus it's my intro. Uh In 1898, he is with another Baptist preacher. And with a, um, what do they call him? The police chief of Dallas, J.C. Arnold. And those three men go to Cleburne. I used to load, when I was in Fort Worth, I loaded the UPS truck. Cleburne is south of Fort Worth. I had the Crowley truck, but it's a little further there. So it's about 60 miles by the crow flies from Dallas. And they went hunting. And while hunting, Truett's gun went off accidentally and struck Sheriff or Police Chief Arnold in the leg. They tied it off, took him to the doctor, Got to the doctor. The doctor said, yeah, it's a flesh wound. You know, it's, he's bled, but he's going to be all right. So they said, can we put him on a train, at least take him back to Dallas? They did. Got him back to his house. And there's conflicting stories on what actually happened. But the next day, he died. His dear friend, who was a member of his church, that he had asked to go hunting with him, and he got ready to resign from First Baptist Dallas. And then friends and parishioners encouraged him to stay and said, you know, it was an accident and please stay. And I found this quote from him. He said, ultimately, the only reason I stayed in ministry is because I had a vision of Jesus standing beside me saying, be not afraid, George. I have chosen you, you are mine from now on. He would stay as the pastor of that church for 45 more years until cancer finally took him to glory. Pick up your Bibles with me as we think about today troubled hearts and the cure for a troubled heart. Jesus is now picking up the pieces. A few weeks ago, Judas has left the upper room. He said, go out and do it quickly. We talked about he went out at night. He separated himself from Jesus to go betray Jesus. Peter has seen that last week we talked about. And he's like, you know, Peter, I love Peter. Well, Jesus, I don't care, man. I'm with you, whatever. I will defend you to the death. And Jesus said, no, you won't. He already knew that he would betray him. He would deny knowing him. Not betray him in the way that Judas did, but he would not confess him in front of a difficult crowd. And now the other disciples undoubtedly are troubled. Their hearts are troubled. And I wonder this morning, before I start reading this, how about you? How many of you have troubled hearts this morning? Something's happened at home. Something's happened in a relationship. Something's happened in your health. Something happened at work. Something might have happened in your neighborhood. And your heart is troubled because of 
either the future or your own failure. Maybe your heart is troubled because you didn't do something that you should have done. Or maybe your heart is troubled because you have wickedness and weakness that makes you want to run away from Jesus when you're in his presence. Look at the cure for a troubled heart. John 14, verses 1 through 6. I memorized in King James. I preached from NIV. And when I recite from memory, I often blend the two. And that will come back, and I'll try to use that. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions, King James, NIV, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go now to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. And I will come back and take you to be with me, that where you and I also may be where I am. And that's why I didn't memorize it in NIV, obviously. He says, you know the place that I'm going, and you know the way. And that's when Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. We should call him Honest Thomas. He's saying the same thing that the rest of the 11 or the other 10, in addition to him, were saying, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to go. How can we know the way? And Jesus responds with that verse 6 that we all love. Jesus says, I am the way. Say it with me. The and the How many people get to come to the Father? No one comes to the Father but through me. Pray with me, please. Father, as we read what is one of the most famous passages in the Bible, and for some it is comforting and for others it is very painful. For we live in a time where the majority of the world thinks they're going to heaven. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. Today, if our hearts are troubled, help us to feel the comfort, the peace, the calm, the healing that only Jesus can bring to a troubled heart. Help us to understand that we must follow him. This is our prayer, Lord, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This text is without a doubt my favorite in the Bible. Have preached it, have repeated it, and misquoted it many times. Each time I read Jesus' calming words to troubled hearts, I too am calmed. I too find peace when I believe and when I trust in Jesus. And that's our first point this morning, trust Jesus. Jesus shares the cure for a troubled heart, and then he tells his disciples that they must trust God and trust him. There's that Greek word pistuo again. It has been used, this is the 11th time it's been used in the Gospel of John to this point. And interestingly enough, most commentators, most translations will say believe. King James says believe, but more modern translations say trust. 
it is written in such a way that it is both a indicative, which is basically an announcement or a fact, the tense is hard on this word pistuo, or it is an imperative like a command. Are we simply to know to trust or are we to actually go do the trusting? Well, is there a difference in the word believe and trust? How many say yes? And there's no wrong answer. How many say there is a difference? Okay. How many say there is no difference? This is like a Baptist church, you know, everybody's looking to vote. How many don't know? And now you're charismatic. Half of my family's Pentecostal, so please, I'm not making fun. It's okay to raise your hands in church. It really is. But if you were growing up Baptist, man, they never come out of your pockets when you're singing those songs. I better hook onto my belt because I'm liable to feel the high hand coming up here. <clears throat> I've read that the word believe is social and the word trust is personal. Uh, some philosopher, I think, said that that way. But as I said, the tense that Jesus is using it here is it, it really, to me, and I am not a Greek scholar by any means. I can tell the tenses and, you know, with a helpful grammar book. I believe he is commanding. He is giving an imperative that if you want the cure for a troubled heart, you need to trust in me just like you trust in God. Perhaps this next slide will explain what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever gone to some corporate off-site, maybe you did it in Boy Scouts, maybe you did it in youth group, you know, and everybody, yeah, you, they stand behind you and you are to believe that they're going to catch you or trust they're going to catch you. You can believe it, but until you fall backwards, you haven't really trusted. And then sometimes they let you fall just because it's funny and they want to get on, on YouTube. Jesus says... And, 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 you know, I could pause here for a second. We can go, you could go back uh, two different chapters, two different times. Jesus has said already that he has had trouble in his heart. Remember the word that the Greek word for trouble is the word we get agitate from. You know, it's like being shaken all around. And, and the world, life will agitate your heart at some point or another. And Jesus' heart was troubled because he knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that there was a cross waiting for him. And he was troubled because he was fully man as well as fully divine. He was troubled. And I believe that he trusted in the Father. That's how his heart found peace. And now he's telling you, follow my prescription for trust. You trust in me like you trust in the Father. Well, Jesus goes on to explain about his father's house. If you have your Bibles, I think that's the next verse. He says, verse 2, In my father's house are many rooms, NIV. King James says mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go there to prepare a place for you. That word that King James translates mansion, NIV says room, is and they have multiple ways to spell it. You know, it's interesting. I, I, M-E-N-O or M-O-N-E. Either one can mean dwelling place. It can mean room. It can mean house. It can be a place that you abide with someone. And that's what Jesus is saying. 
there are many residences, there are many places to abide, many places to dwell, many places to live in my Father's house, in my Father's kingdom, in glory, in heaven. And he says, the beautiful part of it is, when you get there, you will be with me, the Father and the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you of 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Jesus Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. If you will trust in him, he will take you home. Did you ever like spending the night at somebody's house when you were a kid that had maybe a little nicer house than you did? Come on, be honest. Oh, I never spent on a nicer house than me. My mom's sitting beside me. No, I, I, I mean, like my friend Brad, they will know who Brad is. Brad, um, his house had a, no joke, half-court basketball court outside, right beside the in-ground cement pond. It had a swimming pool. And in his basement, where his bedroom was, and his laboratory, Brad's a doctor, and they got him a lot of science. He's an only child, too, I'll tell you that. They had shag carpeting. <laughs> Man, I grew up in the day of shag carpeting, but I don't think we had much of it other than on the steps. That my dad actually stapled shag carpeting one time on the steps going into the basement. And it was still in that house when we sold it, yeah. That new person got, they don't know what all the joys they got out of that. <laughs> it, as nice as Brad's house was, it still wasn't home. It was nice to go there, but it wasn't my house because they weren't there. My dad wasn't there. The ones that I loved weren't there. And Jesus says, if you follow me, I will take you home. Home has to be the place where those that you love abide, where they dwell, where they take up residence. I wrote it down this past week. Every place that I have ever lived longer than a year. I'm not going to read them to you. And those of you who have been in the military have several of those, I'm sure. I lived in at least 24 different places in my life for periods of a year or longer. And I'm only 28. <laughs> the house that we sold in Illinois last year that was built in 1961 or 62 will always be my home of record, if you will, in my mind, but it was the people inside that made it home. Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. And all week long, I have been troubled with that. Anybody ever thought about that? What does the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, have to do to prepare a place for me? I figured somebody would have a wonderful answer. Been hoping you would all week. Yeah, John 1, 3 says, do you remember this? We've been in this book a long time, but you've got to go backwards on this. John 1, 3 says, through him, that's Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So I can't imagine there's anything that he had to go back to do. Oh, you know, if I was coming to your house, you know, like Mark and Cynthia, and they told me, don't say anything. This is their last Sunday here, so I'm not saying anything. They're Air Force active duty. They're headed to Colorado where he's going to be 
the command chaplain of space. Space, the final frontier. God bless you. Um, not like space, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand all the different spaces we have. I don't hardly understand, you know. You know anyway, I'll stop right there. But he's headed off to Colorado. And uh, when we were stationed together in Mississippi, and I was living on a boat because Brenda and, and the kids had already come here to San Antonio, hoping that I would get an assignment or they would force me to retire and I'd join her anyway. Um, Mark and Cynthia had me over to their house many times. Anytime I came over, there was caffeine-free Diet Coke and probably key lime pie because they know that's the two things I like. Not typically, you know, I just sit down to those two things, but one does counteract the other. You know, if you've got Diet Coke, you can eat a piece of pie. At least that's what works in my mind. They prepared for me. And I'm thinking, what does Jesus have to prepare for me? Well, <laughs> coffee. I know some of you would have coffee for sure. Um, and I'm still processing that this week. And, and I, I, I want to suggest this. Please don't take this as the definitive answer of what, because commentators often like to glaze over that. They really do. Well, he's going back to prepare a place for you, you know, in his father's house. And I can't imagine Jesus putting out clean sheets. It's heaven. There's going to be clean sheets. And you don't ever have to change them. Somebody else is going to change them. You don't have to wash them unless that's what you really like to do, and then you'll get to wash all the time. I, I don't think of that way, but think of it this way. How many of you ever, when you were a ch young person, and you wanted to have that friend come over and spend the night, what did you have to do first? Clean your room. Keep thinking. Ask your mom and dad if they can come over. Could it be that the one who would be the mediator between me and God, the one who would be my intercessor, the one who would be my savior, has gone back to the Father and said, This one believes. This one trusts in me, welcome him into our home, Father. You'll read in the 23rd verse of this chapter, and I know we'll get there in a few weeks, but Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Same, we're still in chapter 14. My Father will love him. And you know that. If your child invited a child to come to your house and they were nice to your child, you loved that child too. You took care of them. And he, we will come to him and make our home with him. Trust in the promise that he's coming back. Because he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come back that where I am, you may be also. So trust Jesus. Second, as we look at this passage, follow Jesus. As I said earlier, I got to love Thomas. He, he speaks for me just like Peter speaks for me. I'm sometimes too quick to say something, and sometimes I'm too honest to say I don't get it. And Thomas was that. Here we are at verse 5. Well, Jesus is back up, get verse 4. You know the way to the place where I'm going. I don't know where you're going, Thomas says. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? You would call him Honest Thomas. And it's as if after reading verses 5 and 6 of this, Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our world has developed, you'll love this, DTD. 
D. Found that this week. It's a disease. Here it is. Developmental topographical disorientation. DTD. That is describes some people in my family. I won't tell many more personal stories or I won't be able to sleep tonight. But some people have no directional internal compass whatsoever. You can be at a restaurant, point them to the restroom, and when they come out of the restroom, they can't find the table you were sitting at. They can walk out from their front door, make a left turn or a right turn, and cannot find the way back to their house. It doesn't mean there's anything psychologically wrong with them. It doesn't really, you know, say that they're not smart or whatever. It's just they have this disability, if you will, developmental, topographical disorientation. Hmm. There are people who get lost in the post office. DTD means that you can't form a mental map or an image of your surroundings. And why I came across this, I came across a lady named Mary McLorimy. I don't know if I'm saying her last name correctly. McLorimine, whatever. Uh, she wrote about it. She said, I have no internal compass. Let me describe to you a typical incident of dealing with my DTD. She said, I was staying at a friend's home and decided to take out their dog, Otis, for a walk. I thought, there's your first mistake. If you know you have this disability. As I started back, I had no idea where I was. I was only blocks from where I had started, but I was lost. Fear and adrenaline pulsed through my veins, and I began to sweat profusely. My surroundings looked completely unfamiliar. It was as though I had been dropped into the middle of a foreign country. I had not written the address down of the home where I was staying, and walking any direction would make just be a guess. Was I getting closer? Was I getting farther away? Would I have to knock on someone's door or use someone's phone to call the police? How could I expect them to return me to the house I didn't even know the address to provide? Fortunately, she said someone did find her, and they knew the dog Otis and got her to the house where she needed to be. People with DTD, she says, have not had a brain injury. They have not had tumors or strokes. They just have an inability to determine direction. Mary found someone to guide her home or to at least the place who was staying. Jesus is right here ready to guide you home. Because so many of us live in this world like we have that disease. But in verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I know there could be a lengthy sermon just off of that verse. But he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am more of a Billy Graham fan after he died because that, you know, it's like with all things. Once you lose somebody or lose something, you appreciate it more. And I know he's a North Carolina man and uh, Mark and Cynthia are as well. Um, he was speaking in North Carolina at a small group in the year 2000. I don't think he died till 2018 or 2019. Uh, 99 years old, almost made it 100. Um, and he said, uh, they said, you know, you don't have to give us a powerful sermon like some of your crusades. You know, just come and speak to us. So 
he got up to speak and he said, let me just tell you a story. I talked about preachers telling stories last week. And sometimes a story will get you better than some big theological parsing of the Greek words, you know. But he said, Albert Einstein was on a train one time. He told, this is a true story. And perhaps you've heard it because it's a Graham story. And I'm sure like most preachers, you tell it once, you tell it again. He said, and Albert Einstein is there and the conductor comes through and he's taking the tickets and punching them. And as the conductor got closer to Albert Einstein, you know, this great scientist, this great, you know, giant, mental giant. And he said, the conductor watched him, stuck his hand in his pocket looking for his ticket. He couldn't find it. So he stuck his hand in his other pocket, couldn't find it. He stuck his hand in his, his pants pockets, couldn't find it. Opened his briefcase and started looking. And finally, the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I, I know who you are. Don't worry about it. I'm sure you bought a ticket. He said, everybody on this train knows that Albert Einstein, you know, he's on the train. EM equals MC squared is on the train. It's okay. I'm sure you bought a ticket. He says, fine. And he just pressed on and started taking tickets again. He got a few more rows down on the, on the train, and he looked back, and there's Albert Einstein on his hands and knees underneath his seat looking for that ticket. And he runs back, the conductor runs back, and he says, Dr. Einstein, he goes, I've told you, we know who you are. You, you, you're on here, it's okay. And Dr. Einstein stopped, he goes, I know who I am too, but I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> Billy Graham was 82 when he told that story. And he continued by saying, look at this suit I'm wearing. And to those of you who have ever watched any videos of Billy Graham, he was always a pretty sharp-dressed man, you know, when the double-breasted was in, when the blue blazer was in, you know, whatever. He it was of the style of the day. He was wearing it. And he said, I want you to look at this suit that I'm wearing. He said, my family told me that there was a day, and I'll use Cliff Perry terms, I was a sharp-dressed man. He, he was like ZZ Top. He was always looking sharp. But he said, in these latter years, I've gotten a little more haggard. I don't buy new suits. So he said, so I went out and I bought a new suit just for this event today. And everybody's like, well, great, you know, bought a new suit. He said, but what's more, I want you to know, don't remember this suit because I was wearing it here today. He said, I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, I know where I'm going. Do you know? Where you're going. Follow Jesus. Look at verse 6 one more time. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This verse, as I alluded to when we opened up this service, is a controversial verse for most of our society, perhaps even the world. And those of you who are have lived overseas, stationed over Pat and I were talking, living in England, there are beautiful cathedrals in England that no one goes to at all. Often restaurants are set up in the back just so they can earn enough money to pay the bills at the you know, gigantic facilities. It seems that the world has forgotten its way and forgotten who to follow. Gallup poll just three years ago reports this, that 54% of the United States believe that they will go to heaven, while only 2% believe that they will go to hell. I think it goes back to the first point. If you have not trusted in Jesus, you have not followed him, you are grossly underestimating 
those that are lost and going to hell. For Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Have you chosen to trust in him? And if so, will you simply follow him in all that you do? Stand with me, please. We'll pray. Lord, as we come now to a time in this service of invitation, a time in which we could say, yes, I, I believe, but maybe I've never done that trust thing. I, I, I've said it, but I need to start living it. Maybe there's someone here who's never had that profession or that confession of faith to say, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that like the, the world thinks everybody's going to heaven just by being good, but there's only one way to get to your the Father, giving it to you, and that's through the Son. If there's someone today, Lord, that has never accepted Christ, they don't need to wait for the first verse. They can start walking, and we'll pray together and ask Christ to come into their life right now. Perhaps there's someone here who just wants to come to these steps. They have become uh, disoriented. They have lost their way. They have lost the compass of faith that points to Christ Jesus. So, Lord, let them follow you. Hear this, Lord, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.